Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Amazon has everything for back to school. Zebra lunchbox? Check. Cool Adidas gear like t-shirts, shoes, and backpacks? Check. Triceratops folders and pencils? Check. Lasercat t-shirts? Check. Get your back-to-school shopping done now at Amazon.com slash back-to-school and enjoy free shipping on millions of items. No need to leave your home or hassle with crowds. Amazon.com. No better place to get everything back-to-school from A to Z. What's better than this guy? It's me and dudes here on the Draft Podcast. It's Joe Reno and Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, and we are your hosts here on this Tuesday edition of the show. Really excited to continue our new show structure, our new format, where we introduce another new segment to you today, Takes on Takes on Tuesday. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Can't wait to dig into it. Kyle, welcome to the show. Takes on Takes Tuesday. I am a huge fan of alliteration in general, so I don't see any way that this ends up being a bad show. I mean, well, we could screw that up with some bad takes, but you're not going to find that on this podcast. Never. No, never. You would never find someone on this podcast say that SpongeBob SquarePants is bad. Did I, you know, look, I didn't say that. I said that I wasn't familiar with him. I don't know much about him. Uh, Joe, that ain't no problem. I ain't talking about you. Uh, I'm talking about John Ledyard. That ain't no problem. <laughs> So John openly said that SpongeBob was bad. Yeah, he said it on the podcast last week. Oh, man. He said he's not interested Um, in undersea creatures singing a bunch of songs, to kind of quote with with his his tone there. Uh, That that was his pitch, was uh, not a fan of SpongeBob. um, Well, I I guess I'm glad I haven't seen it, because I think he not have a take. Um, Kyle, shall we lead off with the latest and greatest in news around the NFL? Training camps are all underway as we speak here, and so that means some of the injuries are starting to creep up. One of the most substantial injuries that was sustained on Monday was Ross Cockrell, uh, cornerback for the Carolina Panthers. He was likely to be, you know, maybe the starter opposite of James Bradbury, um, and uh, now it looks like he's uh, went down with a fractured tibia and fibula. That's going to cost him the season. And so Carolina, a team that already had question marks 
the offensive line and lost Darrell Williams for an indefinite amount of time yesterday, like we discussed. Now they lose a cornerback at a position where they're they're very they're very thin right now. It, it looks like Kevon Seymour will step into that job opposite of James Bradbury. I know they're still trying to work in Dante Jackson and Rashawn Gold into the secondary, but two positions of of uh, concern for Carolina in training camp already ha- have sustained big injuries. Yeah, as uh, we like to say here in the biz, that's not ideal. Losing a starting corner and a starting offensive tackle potentially in a span of two days, and uh, you know there is no such thing as a funny matter with an injury uh, when their, their health is their livelihood. But I couldn't help but kind of roll my eyes a little bit at the the NFL Network was doing a training camp update this afternoon and. Say, oh yeah, Rock Co- Ross Cockrell went down with an apparent leg injury, and they posted a picture of him immediately after the impact with Torrey Smith, and his shins like on a sixty-degree bend. And it's like, you guys, you're gonna put apparent leg injury in quotation marks here, like it's not <laughs> clear as day that the poor guy's just broken his leg. I was like, come on, guys. Like, don't, if, You could crop the picture. You could do any number of different things if you don't want to be the ones that put that out there prematurely. But oh, poor Ross. Like, th- this was a great opportunity for him. And um, he's going to have to you know, take care of the leg and, and heal up. And you know, I, I can't speculate at all on what that timetable looks like, but you have to figure such a significant break uh, of the entire lower leg is going to be a – very difficult road back for him. Yeah, and he I, this was a good chance for him, like you said, in Carolina to uh, to start. You know, he bounced around, uh, spent some time with the Steelers and then the Giants, and he kind of looked like he had a good opportunity here in in, uh, in Carolina, where he played his college ball at Duke. Uh, so that's very unfortunate. All the best to Ross moving forward. Uh, just kind of continuing on the injury theme here. Garrett Bowles went down. He was carted off, but then he returned to practice. So we can all. Uh, collectively exhale on Garrett Bowles uh, sustaining anything significant since he did return to practice. But Jake Ryan, the uh, starting inside linebacker for the Green Bay Packers, he went down with what appears to be a uh, a torn ACL that's not been confirmed, but a lot of indications uh, say that it is going to be an ACL tear, which is something he did in college. He had a torn ACL that he dealt with. And uh, look, he's an important player for this team. And uh, in in Mike Pettin's defense, the true 3-4, it was him and Blake Martinez on the inside. And now Jake Ryan's down, and so you kind of wonder what's going to happen here as a result of uh, potentially losing him for the season. Now, I'm not sure if that means that Oren Brooks or, Brooks or Ahmad Thompson are going to slide into job, or if they're going to try to get Clay Matthews back inside, something that really didn't work in the past. You know that he's best on the edges. So uh, this is a, this is another one, especially for, for this Packers defense that, you know, the rebound after down year last year, and then you consider Jake Ryan – very unfortunate. He started like 27 games here, really has come on, and he's in a contract year, right? So he's been working on this rookie deal, kind of an opportunity to secure long-term extension potentially or, you know, see what he was available, see what he could get on the open market. And now he's potentially has a seasoning and injury already. So very unfortunate news for Jake Ryan. Yeah. Uh, the Bulls one was weird. Uh, was considered day-to-day and tested for a concussion, and then came back out was going through the walkthrough. So it's like, oh, okay, like Garrett must be fine. Uh, Joe, I did have one piece of news that I stumbled upon. Uh, not sure if you saw this, but I did want to bring this to the table. 
And I, I deliberately did not prep you for this in the uh, the pre-show because I wanted your genuine reaction to the headline, to this news story, in the event that you didn't see it. Uh, did you read the news about Jordan Reed? Jordan Reed, tight end, Washington Redskins? Yes. I have no idea what you're about to say. This is terrific. This is exactly how I was hoping this was going to go. So Jordan Reed announced that over the offseason, he had a surgical procedure done to remove a bone from each of his big toes. What is your immediate reaction there? Um, Why? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Why? My immediate reaction is why would he do that? So he had... uh, a, uh, a bone removed from his big toe in each of his feet. Uh, he's been struggling with, with foot soreness, and it was kind of something that was drawn back to some of the muscle uh, issues that he had uh, as as far as staying healthy, and this was a recommended procedure where you don't need this bone. And uh, I don't know from a medical standpoint if it's supposed to increase your range of motion and flexibility so that you're – you're not jamming that toe and there's less pressure in there or what. But, yeah, Jordan Reed came straight out and was like, yeah, like I had a bone removed from each of my big toes, and I feel great. And uh, I just want to tip my hat to Jordan Reed for, for really going out on a limb and trusting his doctors <laughs> with, uh, with that recommended procedure because you could tell me, listen, I can get rid of your foot pain, but I'm going to need to take bones out of your feet. I'd, I'd probably give you a hard pass. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, we'll see if this works. This could be a groundbreaking thing, but um, <laughs> uh, it just seems weird that removing a bone will help him prevent injury in the future. And God knows he needs it, right? He's always banged up. He's always hurt. And so if a healthy Jordan Reed would be a big deal for that, that Redskins often is so often without him. Imagine that's like the missing link. Like that's the big breakthrough. It's like, oh, yeah, dude, you just need to like take bones out of your feet and problem solved. You're good. Bold strategy. Joe, should we move on to takes on takes? Do you have any more breaking news for us? Uh, the, only, the only real other nugget here is with Sam Darnold signing his contract, it leaves Roquan Smith, Chicago Bears, first-round pick, is the only draft pick that remains unsigned. And really what, what I understand this comes down to is some, some language in the contract uh, that um, deals with the uh, new – targeting rule, I guess, with the lowering of the helmet and stuff like that, which is really interesting because he has the same agent as Tremaine Edmonds, and the Bills just gave him whatever language they wanted. It seems like uh, Chicago Bears are not as apt to do that. Yeah, it's, uh, I I seem to have thought that Sam Darnold signed a long time ago. He was actually 31 of 32 to sign. And uh, did I read he threw an interception today? Two. 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 Wow. Oh, well, bust. big bust. Kyle. Big bust. Come out. Just Josh draft. Allen overthrew a screen pass, and <laughs> Sam Darnold threw two interceptions on day one. And look, the, the, the book's written, right? But you know damn well I'm going to be patting myself on the back because of all the positive reviews coming out about Baker Mayfield in Cleveland right now. It's confirmation bias season. Yeah, it's, it's all it is. It's, it's exhausting is what it is. Until the games count, none of it matters. Like... I'm not going to get excited about Mike Gusecki mossing Minka Fitzpatrick in red zone drills. As much as I want to, I'm not going to let myself have those expectations because the games don't count right now. So step back off the ledge, everybody. Let's take a collective deep breath. 
Uh, I know hope has, is, is springing eternal in training camp for all of us, but don't put the car before the... Before the horse. Joe, let's move on to Takes on Takes Tuesday. A really, really fun show concept here where we're going to give our listeners on the show the limelight. We're going to uh, critique their takes on college football and the NFL draft and the NFL. Uh, So generally the concept here is we, we put out an invitation for folks to give us their takes and we're going to break those down and either agree or disagree with them. Joe, uh, I'm going to do the honors here by tapping into a take from Raymond Gillespie uh, at Ray Gillespie 36 on Twitter says Arizona, Oakland, Tampa Bay, Miami. How dare you, sir? And Seattle pick top five in next year's NFL draft. Joe, your immediate reaction to that is blank. Fake news. Fake news. Fake news. Uh, yeah, you know, look, I can see Arizona. I can see maybe Tampa Bay. Um, I think Oakland will probably win like six games. And Miami will win seven, seven eight games. Yeah, seven and nine forever. And Seattle, Seattle has Russell Wilson. I know that there's a lot of changes on this roster, but they still have Russell Wilson. And because of that, they have a chance to win every week. They'll win seven to nine games, and there's not a chance Seattle's picking it up. Yeah, I, I would agree that, that Arizona and Tampa Bay are really likely candidates. I mean, if Russell Wilson gets hurt, give it up. You know, let's, let's, oh, yeah. <laughs> Seattle's picking oh. early. But um, – I, I think Oakland will be plenty competitive, and I actually think Miami will probably finish second in the AFC East this year and probably have seven to nine wins um, because that's what teams in purgatory seem to do every single year, and that's where Miami's been for the better part of a decade. So I agree with you, Ray. I think you're on the right track, but I think you need to adjust those like three foot th- three through five slots. I have something to add here. Okay, go ahead. John Schneider with a top five draft pick. <laughs> the, in, the prospects of that are that, really fun to me. Who knows? Who knows what would happen? Yeah, I mean, nobody goes to the beat of their own drum more than John Schneider in Seattle. Although, if they're picking top five, is is John Schneider still there? That's a good. That, well, that's a very good question that's very good i'm not sure i mean if the wheels fall that hard off the bus you don't know yeah because that would be a huge drop off for those guys uh joe i'm gonna take the next one with the lead i want to bring a a a take from at hail skins on twitter says anthony miller will finish number one in rookie receiving yards richie james will finish top five uh hail you were Really, really good with the first fifty percent of your take, Anthony Miller. Man, uh, he he's putting guys in a blender in Chicago camp, and I just got done saying it's confirmation bias season. But when you had Anthony Miller as a top twenty player, uh, confirmation bias is going to say, yeah, that guy's kicking ass. Keep kicking ass, Miller. I think you know. 
The real question with Anthony and what his upside is, one is health, but durability was not a problem in season last year for Anthony Miller. The, the, the real question is, what does the target share look like in Chicago? Because they brought in so many guys. Like, if Chicago would have kind of stood pat on what they had last year and brought Anthony Miller in, I would have said he would have led the team in receiving. But they did bring in, you know, a lot of big-name guys to, to really try to provide some life in this passing offense, most notably Allen Robinson coming off an injury. Uh, they also brought in uh, the Eagles tight end, Trey Burton, athletic kid. Uh, they got two or three tight ends that can contribute. Kevin White, maybe this is here. Kevin White finally turns it around, stays healthy, I don't know. But then Anthony Miller already on top of that. Uh, I think Anthony Miller is probably my favorite right now to lead uh, the league in rookie receiving yards, Joe. Uh, obviously, the Richie James, not not a chance he's in the top five. Um, I think Anthony Miller will finish fourth in rookie receiving yards. I like DJ Moore. I like DJ Moore. I like Calvin Ridley. I like Dante Pettis. And I might like Michael Gallup more in terms of year one production. I just think that Anthony Miller, I love him. He's super talented. He, he deserves a lot of targets. But I just don't know what he where he lies on the pecking order. He could be the, you know, the fourth or fifth option when when it's all said and done there with Robinson and Taylor Gabriel, Cameron uh, Cameron Meredith uh, and uh, Trey Burton. I just you know they like to get Jordan Howard involved. I'm just not sure how many targets he's going to get. Capable is he capable of leading the, the league in rookie receiving yards? Yes, absolutely. I just don't think it it's going to happen just given the infrastructure of that offense. Look, man, who would have pegged Cooper Cup last year? That's true. Time will tell. Time will tell. Joe, uh, Mr. Ed, uh, at Vengeance Without the A on Twitter, says, after starting 1-4 and and getting blown out by West Virginia, I'm here for it. Texas Tech will fire head coach Cliff Kingsbury. Joe, I took lead on the last one. Go ahead and give us your take on this take from Mr. Ed. Yeah, this is a this is an interesting one. Um, so I think so if they go, they have a tough schedule to start the season. They have Ole Miss, Lamar. They're going to beat Lamar. That's they're going to they have Houston, Oklahoma State, and West Virginia, and then they have TCUs. I mean, they're, they're, this could get ugly cool for Texas Tech. But it goes back to the question: What is the expectation at Tech? Well, I think that goes back to Mike Leach, right? If you look at Mike Leach's tenure. At Texas Tech, it was it was terrific. He never finished worse than fourth in the Big 12. He uh, he made a bowl game in every single year. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine bowl games in a row. He won all but three of them, four of them. So he was five and four in bowl games. And then you flip the script to Cliff Kingsbury, who's 30 and 33 as a head coach. They've made a bowl game. They've made three bowl games. They've missed bowl. They were not bowl eligible twice. And uh, they've never finished higher than fifth in the Big 12. And he's been there for this will be his sixth season. So when you compare what Cliff Kingsbury has done compared to, you know, what Mike Leach was able to do there, uh, basically con- consistently winning eight to 11 games where Cliff Kingsbury really is more of a five to seven win guy. Um, yeah, I think it's a possibility. That team, I think that team has a realistic chance of being one in five through the first six games of the season. And, you know, is it going to play out exactly like that where he gets fired after that West Virginia game or after that TCU game? I'm not sure. 
do think that Cliff Kingsbury needs to get something going here with Texas Tech because they may move on. Yeah, but I think if if you look realistically at the Big 12, if I start naming schools, you can't tell me this is a top half of the conference team and that the expectation here is to be in the top half of the conference. Like, you're, not gonna, you're never going to be on Oklahoma's level. You're not supposed to be on Texas's level. Perhaps this year, the 10th straight year that we're declaring Texas is back, will be the year that Texas is actually back. <laughs> But you, you, you're not supposed to be on Texas's level. Oklahoma State's been one of the most consistent programs since Mike Gundy's been there. So you got three right now. Kansas State consistently wins eight or nine games every year. You're not going to be on Kansas State level. I would argue West Virginia, expectations in, in West Virginia, they had a st- or from a record perspective, they had their worst year in, in a little while last year. You're not really, I would take West Virginia and their expectations 10 times out of 10 over Texas Tech. So, I mean, that's five schools right there that this this really isn't... This is not Graham Harrell and Michael Crabtree's Texas A&M. So, I don't know what you're expecting. You know, that, I mean, I'm sure they will go out and they will put up some points, and they'll probably beat somebody and surprise somebody. But uh, I don't think it'll be Old Miss. I don't think it'll be Oklahoma State. I don't think it'll be West Virginia. I don't think it'll be TCU. So, I mean, what? it's a tough schedule. But you're not a top half of the, of the conference team. So you, you got to play with the hand you're dealt. And I don't see Cliff Kingsbury bringing five-star recruits to Texas Tech to turn that team around. Well, Kyle, though, but Mike Leach from 2000 to 2009, that team was a, a, a top four team at least every single year in the Big 12. That's fine. But, Joe, you, 2000 to 2009, that's almost 10 years ago. Well, because Cliff Kingsbury's been there for the last five. Okay, so he's been there half the time. What about the, the, the five years prior to that? What that team look like There's then? Three years with Tommy, Tommy Tuberville, they were – Three and five, two and seven, and four and five. That's not great. And what about before Mike Leach? Did they just luck into a good hire? Yeah, but that's what Florida did with Steve Spurrier, right? And then, of course, Urban Meyer or was Ron Zook, who was trash. And then Urban Meyer, who obviously made a phony story to Ohio State. But the standard <laughs> at Florida's always been Steve Spurrier. The standard at Tennessee's always been Phil Fulmer. And so they go through all these coaches to try to get what they had. And to me, if I'm Texas Tech, I want Mike Leach. I want the Mike Leach era of success. And look, it's year six for Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury. And even, I mean, he was there, if I'm not mistaken, he was offensive coordinator somewhere. I'm not sure if it was there or if it was um, somewhere else. But it's not like, I just don't, I, I feel like it's not unrealistic for me to think that this is a team that shouldn't be competing for potentially a four seed in the, in the big ball. I just can't. I, I can't believe you put Phil Fulmer and Steve Spurrier on the same caliber of coach as Mike Leach that you just did. You put, them, you put them in the same air. Conceptually. Conceptually. Yeah, they, they spark an era of football, but that become it's, – it's, it was sustained. It was sustained for nine years. 
This is this is a great example of the, the grass is not always greener on the other side, right? Well, you just keep winning five games a year with they're not going to win five games next year potentially. No, I'm saying you know when Leach was there, you know people want to start projecting to the next level above Leach, but then Leach moves on, and suddenly everybody's pining for Mike Leach. It's like what what happened with uh, Philip Fulmer at Tennessee, right? Like, Fulmer's got the the Vols winning eight or nine games every single year. And, you know, they were kind of past their heyday when they were national champions. And, oh, you know, this this is not acceptable for Tennessee football. We got to get a new guy in here. And every single year since they've let go of Philip Fulmer has been a dumpster fire for Tennessee. Who else did that? Who else did that? There's another um, school that had a coach that consistently won them like eight, eight, nine, ten games every year, and they cut him loose, and then they just they the bottom dropped out on him. Um, well, it's not Mark Rick. <laughs> no, no, it's not. I had self reported myself to old takes exposed for that one. Yeah, I had a bad. You are a better man than I am for that. Good for you. Uh, I need to get ahead of it, Joe. Um, sh- sh- should we should we move on here? Because this this thoughts yeah. I'm not connecting the dots here. It'll come to me on like Thursday show. We'll bring it back on Thursday. Uh, Carter Donick, see Don Scouting on Twitter. Carry on Johnson rushes for 1,400 yards and wins Offensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, I'll say no to both of those. Carry on Johnson. Kerryon Johnson's going to have a good year. 1,400 yards? Do, do people even rush for that many yards now in the NFL? Like, I think that um, LeGarrette Blunt's going to carve into his, some of his production. Um, uh, Amir Abdul is going to get some touches. I just don't think he's going to run for 1,400 yards, even though, I mean, that offensive line's really strong, and there's obviously with Matt Stafford and Golden Tate and Marvin Jones, I mean, they can hit some stuff in the passing game. So, I mean, um, I just think it's going to come down to – I just don't think he's going to rush for 1,400 yards. I think he'll have a good season. And uh, as far as him being the rookie of the year, I I, I also will say fake news on that uh, just because I have the field, right? So it's either Carrion Johnson is or someone else is, and I'll take someone else is. I think there's plenty of strong candidates when you look at, you know, Saquon Barkley and you look at Ronald Jones and, um, you know, even – well, I, it's hard to imagine Brashad Penny doing that, but um, – you know, there's there's other guys, you know, like I said, DJ Moore earlier, Calvin Ridley. You know, there's five first-round quarterbacks. I just think someone else will probably claim that trophy. Yeah, I just want to see him rush for 100 yards. That poor team. It's been like four years since they had a 100-yard rusher in Detroit. Uh, last one, we want to keep the line moving here and get to uh, uh, summer flings on the uh, the defensive line. But uh, I had to give one from David Bullen, one of our loyal listeners, uh, dbullen98. Will Greer will have a Heisman-type season. Joe, all I'm going to say is I'm here for it, and I hope so, because it would be good for the brand. Don't know if you have any specific thoughts there. Well, I mean, I think I get an email every single day <laughs> on this, uh, from this Will Greer for Heisman campaign. Look, yeah, why, why can't he? I think he's going to throw for big numbers. He's got... He's got Sills returning um, at receiver. There's another receiver that they have there, if I'm not mistaken, is pretty good. Gary Jennings. Um, yeah, Jennings. Yeah. So, I mean, it's the Big 12. There's going to be a lot of points. He's going to have big numbers. 
I mean, as long as the team's success carries, because you know that's important for the Heisman stuff, you know, I, I can certainly see Will Greer contending for the Heisman Trophy this year. Yeah, I think they, they had uh, Jennings led the team in receiving yards, I believe, and Sills was like just short of 1,000 yards and had like 17 touchdowns. So they got a lot of production coming back in West Virginia. So, Kyle, uh, it's time to move on from takes on takes. That was good. There was a lot that we couldn't get to. So um, we will uh, we, we will we are appreciative of everyone. And, and so definitely get those in next week if we didn't get to yours. And if you have something that you want us to react to, hit us up on the Twitter machine. But it's time to wrap up with our summer fling series. Yesterday we talked about our summer flings with quarterbacks. And so the concept being – uh, man, you did such a nice job outlining this yesterday. But, well, you know, look, over the summer, people kind of get into some romance, some flings. And so Kyle and I, we've been grinding tape all summer. And so we want to highlight, you know, the certain player in each picture that's our guy, the guy that we love, the guy that we have a fling with uh, coming out of summer because we really enjoyed their tape. Again, Kyle's really focused on the Big Ten this summer. I focused a lot on the ACC. So it's likely that you're going to hear us talk about a player from, from those respective conferences. But, uh uh, without further ado, Kyle, why don't you take a lead here? Yeah, so I am going to keep it in the Big Ten. I want to talk about the best defensive tackle on the Ohio State Buckeyes roster, and I'm not talking about Draymond Jones. Draymond Jones, fun player in the fact that he's really athletic, really quick off the line of scrimmage, but I think Robert Landers is the better all-around football player there in Ohio State. Uh, Landers is number 67. He's extremely stout at the point of attack. He holds up double teams well. He's uh, a little bit more compact. He's, he's around 6'1", uh, but he uses that leverage leverage naturally to his advantage, and, and that was one of the things that really stood out on film. It's his ability to get up underneath the guy's pads and kind of squat and anchor effectively and eat up double teams and let those fast athletic linebackers that they have there at Ohio State flow freely behind him and pursue the football. But if you go back and you watch the USC game, the bowl game, USC couldn't block him. He had a pretty nice first step. He was playing through contact well. He was getting lateral and, and, and mirroring backs at the mesh point. It's like, oh, okay, like, this dude's got some play. And I was really, really pleasantly surprised by Robert Landers when, as I'm watching Draymond Jones, I'm watching Draymond get uprooted off the line of scrimmage, and he's get pushed around a whole lot. And you know, he the skills are very clearly there for him to be an effective penetration player, but the all-around traits is still a work in progress for Draymond. Where I'm not necessarily going to get that same elite first step and natural athleticism out of Robert Landers. But that's a guy I know is going to stay on the line of scrimmage. I know he's going to eat up one-on-one blocks from centers when he's playing in the A-gaps. I know he's going to eat a double team and stuff it up effectively. And I know he can get forward and penetrate gaps with a reasonable amount of effectiveness. So I'm really excited to see Robert Landers where uh, – Production was not there for him because Ohio State fell in love with this NASCAR package last year where they put Jalen Holmes and they put Tyquan Lewis as their defensive tackles on passing downs. So put that star next to Robert Landers' name because I think he's going to be poised for a really, really productive year in 2018. I will have to check him out. Uh, it's funny you mentioned Draymond Jones. I've kind of got the vibe that he's overhyped as well from – 
couple of games that I've seen of him, and I kind of get that Malik, Malik Collins vibe from him where there's some athleticism, but, man, he just he can't stay grounded. He gets rooted out of gaps. So um, you can be quick all you want, but uh, you know, in the NFL, you gotta you got to handle – handle your work up front and be able to maintain run fits. And so that's a, that's a problem for Raymond Jones. Uh, Kyle, uh, I am going to talk about an ACC defensive tackle, but it's not going to be either one of the Clemson guys. Uh, Cleveland, or, uh, Christian Wilkins and uh, Dexter Lawrence, those are pretty good football players. But the one that really popped for me this summer, the one that I really kind of gravitated towards and felt he was my guy, is Ricky Walker. He's a defensive tackle for Virginia Tech, 6'2", 304 pounds. This Hokies defense is not returning a whole lot of starters, only four. Uh, and he's one of them. And he had a pretty good junior season last year, 41 tackles, 12.5 tackles for loss, and 4.5 sacks. And you watch this guy on film, and you just see a really balanced football player, a guy that can win against the run, and he can rush the passer. Um, he, he's one of those guys that really gets off the ball quick and aggressively. I love that. Gets into the neutral zone and initiates the contact with his hands so that he can control reps early. And uh, he has really good vision and ability to play through blocks and, and work into the backfield. He stacks blocks really well, but he can also disengage with very, very active hands. And so I like that in terms of his ability to defend the run, both as a gap shooter, but somebody that can really just kind of anchor and, and stack and shed as well. Uh, he does give you a, a quick first step and a lot of a lot of uh, energy as a pass rusher. He 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 uh, you know he needs to expand his his uh, repertoire of pass rush moves, but he gives you that first step quickness and he gives you that relentless motor that I think can really, with some more technique this year, he can have a more productive season rushing the passer. Although four and a half sacks for an interior rusher is bad, um, so I think he's a he, he's low key a very disruptive player that's stout and athletic and. Exactly what I'm looking for in defensive tackles. So, looking for him to play a big role on this Hokies defense as a senior, where they really need him to step up and be a leader. But I think that he's going to be an even more prolific player than he was last year with this big stage and and uh, obviously his final season in Blackburg. So check out Ricky Walker; he can play. Folks, that's my favorite thing about this series is we're bringing new names to the table for you guys to investigate on your own. We can lead the horse to water, but we can't make it drink. That is on you guys. Drink up that film. Go to YouTube. Check out the game cuts. You can find almost any Power 5 game last year cut up to a 40-minute cut on YouTube. Uh, God bless those who do that work. Uh, We're very thankful uh, because, you know, as... In the platform that we are at personally, Joe, we do have access to some resources and some All-22, but there's not every team out there. So if you if you scroll through the Twitter takes and the Twitter videos and the breakdown videos on my timeline, uh, you will still see those YouTube cut-ups being utilized, and they're a valuable tool for us. And as our listeners, we highly encourage you, take advantage of that. Take what we bring to the table and then make up your mind for yourself. You guys, it's your turn. Go check out the tape and let us know. You can reach us on Twitter. I'm at GrindingTheTape. Joe is at the Joe Marino. And in the meantime, we're, we're six days away from the launch of the Draft Network website, which we are so, so excited for. Uh, we're going to have a lot of great content right at launch for that. But... Uh, Make sure you're following along in this build-up process. Uh, hit subscribe on this podcast. Let us know what you think. Leave us a review of the show. And uh, we're going to be bringing some news to you guys before the end of the week, so we're excited about that. I know we teased it at the end of last week, but patience is a virtue. Stick with us. Hit subscribe so you don't miss out on it. 
I'm Kyle Krabs, signing off with Joe Marino, and this is the Draft Dudes Podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.